Once more, welcome everyone. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. If you're joining us in the cafe this morning, you guys are awesome. Welcome to Woodburn. If you're joining us by audio or video podcast, we welcome you as well. Thank you for being a part of this worship service. Open your Bibles, everybody, to Revelation chapter 20. I'm struggling. I've got all my fingers taped up this morning. Y'all ever seen those mandolin vegetable slicers? Y'all got those? Man, aren't they awesome? Yeah, they're so cool. And they cut so well. And they come with this little piece so that you don't really get your fingers near the blade. But I don't need that. I don't use that. So every time, every time I use that thing, I take like a quarter inch slice, you know, right? And it happens so fast. But my wife is a nurse. And so that just, and plus she's told me like 50 times, you know, don't, you know, watch your fingers, watch your fingers. So I was trying not to let her know. Um, but anyway, it was just like, you know, blood all over the sweet potatoes. And uh, anyway, so here I am this morning, everything totally taped up. Uh, Revelation chapter 20 is where we will begin today. Last week was Easter. We talked about what happened after Jesus died. And, and I think it's very important for us to recognize that Jesus is the only one, the only one who's been to the other side and back. I'm just let that sink in. I know that you've seen all kinds of movies about ghosts, and maybe you feel like there's a ghost in your house. That, you know, it's your grandma that's following you around. Okay, whatever, whatever. Understand, there's only one, only one person who died, went to the other side, and came back, and that is Jesus. So when Jesus talks about what happens after we die, when we look at his word, uh, that is the place to find truth. And this is how we know what happens after we die. Now, the first thing I want you to understand is the Bible doesn't tell you everything that you would like to know. It doesn't tell you everything you want to know, but it does tell you everything that you need to know. So what the Bible does say about our lives and our death and what happens after we die, we have to pay attention to that. It may not answer all of your questions, but it will answer the most important questions. And so the things we're talking about today are absolutely the things that you must know. Now, before I say anything else, I know that some people believe that Baptist preachers always preach hellfire and brimstone. And maybe, you know, this is your first time today. Or you're not, you know, you haven't been in church very long or this is new to you. Uh, this is one of those sermons that you're going to think this is how Baptist preachers preach. And sadly and honestly, it's not how most of us preach anymore. However, there's still a population in our country that, that overwhelmingly still believes in, in hell. I mean, honestly, the majority of people in surveys for years and years and years have continued to demonstrate that most everybody you know, they believe in hell. They believe in a literal hell that once they die, they go either to heaven or hell. People believe that. But at the same time, they don't want preachers to talk about it. They don't want to hear about it. And you understand the sort of devastating kind of silence that is if we fail to talk about the most important thing in your life, and that is where you'll spend eternity. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about the most important thing you need to know. Let's start this way. If you would, just real quietly take your hand and place it on your heart right there. I'm going to do the Pledge of Allegiance. Um, first, just, I want you to feel your heartbeat. Feel it. I'm getting worried. I haven't found mine. (laughs) I have to be still. Okay, you understand, right? That you will die. You don't want to think about it. You don't think about it much. but, But you know this, right? That that beating heart of yours is really something of a mystery. 
And, and, and one of these days, your heart will stop. It just will. And at that moment, there's just not anything that you can do to buy another one. I mean, you only get so many, and one of these days, it'll be the last time. I don't know everything that happens after that biologically. I just know that after the heart stops, everything starts shutting down. And They say the brain continues for a while, so you may continue to think thoughts and, and be somewhat aware. They say that hearing is the last thing that, that goes, so you may hear for a while, but understand at some point your brain's going to shut off like a light too. And then you're gone. It is almost impossible for you and me to fathom that. Not being, not thinking, not, not there at all, but understand this is, is not just a point in my sermon here. This is a moment in your life, the end of your life. Your heart will stop, your brain will switch off, and you will be gone. You'll be dead. This life is over. But then you will open your eyes. Your naked soul in eternity. And this is what happens next. What we're about to talk about is what happens next. You need to be prepared for what happens next. So Revelation chapters 20 is where we'll go. This is what happens next. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. I, I could do the whole chapter, but it, 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 it will just concentrate on the verses that will help us today. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. This is written by the Apostle John who has received this revelation, this vision of everything that happens at the end of the world and at the end of our lives, and this is the place where he sees all of us at the end. Understand, these aren't just verses in the Bible. This is a moment in your life. You'll be here. You will be here. And this is what the Word of God says. I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead and the death and the grave gave up their dead and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death and anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life, was thrown into the lake of fire. I was watching a show on Hulu <laughs> the other day. Uh, it was like a day off. It was one of those snowy, rainy, awful days. And uh, I was watching like a, one of those awesome shows with ter terrorists and bombs and, you know, anti-terrorist units. I, I love those. Casey hates, Casey hates any television show that's, that's, that's good. And so I can't watch, you know, anything with a bullet, you know, or a bomb or anything that might, you know, be exciting, you know, no. So we, you know, do a lot of fixer-upper at our, at our house. 
But when she's not there, y'all, I got the TV. So I was, I was watching. I don't know what it was. It was awesome, though. It was just like, I mean, I was so into this show, and I was almost to the end of it. And there was this guy, and still, we didn't know if he was good or bad. Like in the first 20 minutes, I thought he was good. Then in the second 20 minutes, I thought he was bad. But like in the last 20 minutes, I didn't know him. I don't know if he's good or bad. And so he had called his daughter and told his daughter not to be at this certain place to keep her safe. So I'm thinking maybe he's good. Maybe he is good. But then when they all got to that certain place, they're out there by this fountain and bullets start whizzing. And everybody's screaming. I'm screaming now. I mean, it's just like this big moment. Bullets are flying. And all of a sudden, internet goes out. This is Woodburn, you all. And at our house, true story, if a train goes by, I can lose internet. Train goes by, I can lose internet. So I mean, it's just, poof. It's just good. It's just, you know, the show's not over, but it's over for me. I have no idea. And I've not gone back. So at this point, I don't know. I don't know anything. I don't know if that dude was good or bad. I thought he was good. Then I thought he was bad. And then I don't know. I don't know. Bullets are flying. I don't know if the vice president's alive or not. I have no idea. I'll never know. You know, and, and this is the point. You know, you can watch this show. You can know a story and you can know almost every, every single bit of it. But if you don't get the ending of it, there just can be an awful lot you don't know. Even the things you think you know, you may not know because the ending determines everything. See, I don't know if that guy's good or bad. That's part of what you find out at the end. I don't know if the vice president's alive or not because I would find that out at, at the end. And, and I can surmise and I can guess, but honestly, I don't know. I don't have final knowledge and so with any book you read, with any movie you watch, with any story you hear, if you don't know the ending, then you really don't know what kind of story this is. And you don't know anything about it until you know how it finally ends. And this is what you need to understand. Your life is a story, the ending of which you don't know yet. You don't know. You haven't gotten to the end yet, but the end makes all the difference. Now, there are certain details about the end of your life you don't know. You don't know how you're going to die. You don't know when. Most of us assume we will die, you know, quietly at the ripe old age of 300, you know, laying in a hospital bed, you know, and we'll be quiet and peaceful and all of that. I mean, if we think about it at all, we usually think it's way out there, but, but you don't know. You just really, really don't know. And I'm not trying to scare you or, or worry you. I'm just telling you the truest thing I can possibly tell you. You don't know. You don't know. You don't know that you'll live through the rest of this day. I mean, you could eat a white castle that will blow up in your stomach tonight. I mean, you have no guarantee whatsoever that you'll live to see tomorrow or, or next year. You just don't know. You don't know if you'll graduate high school you don't know if you'll live to see your grandchildren. You have no idea. You don't know. And the fact that you don't know is important. It, it, it needs to matter to you because you take everything for granted. It, it, not knowing, not thinking about that reality just causes you to go through life in this numb sort of denial. It allows you to pretend that all of the wrong things are important, that all the most important things, you, know, you can put those things off. I mean, this idea that you're just going to live on and on and on and on, it, it destroys you. It, it keeps you from the real wisdom that would allow you truly to live. 
That, that, that knowledge that, that, that you're going to die. So honestly, Revelation chapter 20, just these, these four or five verses I can go to, it's not going to answer all of your questions about the end. It's not going to tell you everything about death and what comes after, but it's going to tell you enough. It's going to tell you the important things. These are the things that you must know. And the first thing you have to know is that you're going to die. I saw a great white throne, the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. And I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. I saw the dead. John says, who's he talking about? What dead? All the dead. All. This is both great and small. That's the idea, that everybody is right there together in one long line. Now, I know that you're thinking there should be several different, you know, lines. You know, you sort of organize this, you know, or organize this by race, maybe, or organize this by nationality, or maybe by, by grade point average or socioeconomic accomplishment, something like that. Maybe even, you know, smallest to tallest. But, but no, that's the point. Small, grade, it really doesn't matter anymore. We're all naked standing before God. And, and at that point, we're all the same. And we're all there. You'll be there. You really have to recognize. I mean, the most important thing that you have to know is that your life is going to end. It ends. Doesn't go on like this forever. It, it ends. And after it ends, there is, there is another existence. There's, there's the afterlife. You're going to open your eyes somewhere else. And according to the word of God, you're going to open your eyes standing before the throne of God. You're going to be standing there with everyone else. Nobody gets out of this and nobody gets an excuse. Understand, you will die and you will stand before God. Because the second thing you have to understand is that there's resurrection. There's resurrection. This brief present life is really only a moment for choosing where and how you will spend the eternal life to come. Man, in this life sometimes it seems like it takes forever. Especially when you're young. Remember being young and just waiting to be old enough for something? It's just like waiting to be old enough to start school like your brothers and sisters. Just waiting to be old enough to start kindergarten. And it like takes forever to turn five. You know? And then after that, you know, whatever, you want to turn 12 so you can be 12. And man, it takes forever to turn 12. You ever waiting for 12? And then 16, when I was growing up, man, to turn 16 and drive was, was everybody's dream. Because remember, we lived in Woodburn. Man, just the thought, oh, if I could just get in a car and just drive to Franklin, you know, where life happens, you know. Franklin, you know, had a McDonald's and a Sonic. And in those days, in a car in Franklin, you would drive from McDonald's to Sonic and back to McDonald's and Sonic. And I just thought, man, that's got to be living. That, that just must be living. You know, just, oh, just to have a car. Do you remember how long it took to be 16? And then you get your driver's permit and you got to keep that for, what, 90 days or something? The longest 90 days of your life. Waiting for your license and then waiting for high school graduation. It takes forever. High school lasts forever. It's like dog years, you know, just forever. And then if you go into college, you're going into work. I mean, the thing is, 
It starts speeding up. You catch on to this at some point. It starts going faster. I think four years of college went by a lot faster than four years of high school. And then after that, I got married. And I'm telling you, once you get married, I mean, it just speeds up. It just goes by so fast. My wife and I, y'all hang on. Everybody take a deep breath. Breathe, breathe through this with me. In August, Case and I will have been married 30 years. 30 years. 30 years. Some of y'all were at our wedding. You know, Barbara and Jimmy White were at our wedding. I thought, man, those poor old people, you know. Oh my, and I'm so glad they could get out, you know, and be, a, be at our wedding, you know. You know what, what were y'all, in your 40s or something? I'm thinking those poor old people, you know, somebody help them to their car, you know. Isn't that funny? Oh gosh, you know. Like, like Casey and I a long time ago became older than our parents were at our wedding, and it's just like, what? You know, you look at your parents at your wedding thing. Oh, I hope mama's going to be with us another Christmas. I mean, you just have no idea. You just think they look so old. I mean, they do. They just seem so old to you. And then, man, I'm 53. And like, where in the world does the time go? Where does it go? I don't know how long you feel like this life actually is. But what you have to understand is that it's actually very, very brief. Ernestine Ollers, Jim Ollers' mother, is in hospice now. She's apparently at the point of death. God bless her soul. She's 101 years old. She's lived a century, 101 years. But you understand that 100 in years is just nothing, nothing compared to eternity. And if you believe at all, as, as, as Scripture attests, and as we who are believers believe, if you believe that there is a life after this life, if you really believe in eternity, then you have to understand that eternity is, is outside of time. You know, part of God's creation is that we're sort of limited to space and time, the you know, laws of physics. But when you step out of that, out of this earthly creation, these things don't apply anymore. So we're talking now about eternity, that, that there's no more limitation with time. So, so the life that comes after this life is, is infinitely, infinitely Timeless. So your life down here is just so so brief, and your life down here really only has one purpose. Well, one purpose, and, and it is this: it's it's a moment for choosing, and it's truly just only a moment. But but in this life, you, you're choosing where and how you will spend the eternal life to come. There is a life after this life, and it is in eternity. So you're thinking, I don't really want to follow Jesus in this life. I'm going to have my fun in this life. You don't understand how brief this life is and how how long eternity is. This life is a a, a time for choosing. And, and, And after you close your eyes in death, there is resurrection. You will live again. Last week we talked about Easter, Jesus' death, burial, and his resurrection. And understand, Scripture calls him the first fruits, the first fruits of the resurrection. In other words, in the same way that he was raised, we will also be raised. So like the first apple of the summer, you see the first fruit on the tree, and it may be the only one you see, but you know that there are others to come. And, and that's how Jesus' resurrection, it's like the first fruit. 
You see him raised, and so you know that everybody else gets raised too. We will all one day open our eyes from the grave that this is the truth. You will, you will live again. There is, there is resurrection, and that means that the life to come is very, very important. It's important because of what John says. And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. Verse 11 is describing this, this God who sits upon the throne. That this God who alone sits upon the throne of the universe. In other words, all of this time, whether or not you believed it, whether or not you acknowledged him, whether or not you, you knelt before him, there has always been a God ruling over everything, including you. Always in charge. Always. Never were his eyes closed. Never was he not paying attention. He's the one sitting on the throne. And in John's vision, he's, he's got this terrible majesty. Yes, he's beautiful. Yes, he's wonderful. But understand before him, the earth, the sky, I mean, everything flees. This God is fearsome. I mean, his majesty is beautiful. Make no mistake, the light of his face will, will be the thrill of, of all eternity. But at the same time, to stand before him, to, to gaze upon the, the terrible majesty of this God. I mean, the earth and the sky have somewhere to run, but you won't. You, you stand before him for judgment. I know Snoop Dogg and everybody else says, only God can judge me. And they say that like, get off my back. You can't talk to me. You know, you can't judge me. And they're correct. Snoop Dogg's not a bad theologian at that point. <laughs> only God judges. But do you understand what that means? God judges. He judges. You'd be better off if your grandma was judging. All she's going to do is look at your long hair and count your tattoos and tell you you stink. I mean, you know, grandma's eventually going to let you off. You're going to stand before God for judgment. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne and the books were open. Including the book of life. There were books. Now, honestly... I don't believe God has literal books. That's just weird. I, I, I don't think that God needs a book. You know, it's like, oh, what, what is her name again? Give me that book. Give me the H's. You know, I don't really think that. Because God knows. It's, it's his knowledge is thorough. And when John talks about books, it's, it's his way of talking about judgment. Understand, you will ultimately answer for the way you spent the gift of your life. And your life is a gift from, from the giver of life. It's from that God who sits on the throne. One day you'll stand before him and you will answer for the way you spent the gift of your life. You will answer to the one who gave it to you. I mean, he is the one to whom you give an account for every day you've lived, every breath, every word, every deed. And, and God's judgment will be personal, detailed, and final. That's, that's what it means by the book. So there, there's detail here. It's not going to be like great on some sort of curve, you know, where where all of your deeds are sort of average. No, understand, you're going to be judged according to your deeds. And, and, and the books represent the fact that your, your deeds follow you into eternity. I mean, you, you think it's bad that some people just don't ever forget you know, all the bad things you've done. We understand it's all going to come up again. Because you're going to stand before God and you will stand before God and be judged personally. It's not going to be about how other people mistreated you. You, you, don't, you won't get to make any excuses because you won't have any excuses. 
It won't be about how, well, you'd have done better if you'd had a better, if your daddy wasn't a no good, sorry, drunk. I mean, it won't even matter about your daddy. You're going to stand before God naked and alone. And your daddy will answer for himself too. You'll answer for yourself. You won't have any excuses. I mean, what exactly will you say to God? I mean, you blow a lot of smoke with other people, but before God, I mean, you're not going to have anything to say. It's personal. It's, it's detailed. I mean, you could try to explain and excuse it away and talk about how, you know, you weren't as bad as other people, but none of that matters. You're standing before a holy God whose standard is perfect holiness. And I mean, you may be a pretty good person, a pretty good neighbor, but it's not going to look like much. Your goodness won't look like much standing before the terrible blazing holiness of this God. Personal, detailed, and final judgment. This is, this is final. No do-over, no second chance. I, I mean, this is the verdict. This is a period put to your life and the God who in the end will judge it. Books and judgment. Now, let's be clear that there are books and then there's a book. And that's important. There are books and, and then there's a book. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Now, right now, we're going, wait, Pastor Tim, wait. I've always thought salvation was by, by faith. Well, it is. It is. I've always thought that when we stand before God, it's, it's by grace and mercy that we're saved. And, and you're right, it is. It's by grace and mercy that you're saved. You are saved by faith. You're saved by grace. But without that salvation by grace, you'll be judged by works. Judgment's by works. You don't want to be judged by your works. I mean, this is the point of the story. You don't want God pulling out all those books about your life. You don't want your life coming back up. You can be judged by your works. I mean, if, if, if that's where you stand, if, if that's how you stand before God, because there are books and then there's a book and they're different. The books are the record of all the deeds you've ever done. The book is just a list of names. Interesting. The sea gave up its dead, and the death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose, say it, name, anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. There are the books, which are all of the deeds that everybody's ever done, including you. And, and then there's the book, the books and the book. And the book is the book of life. No deeds listed there, just names. And, and it happens to be whose book? The, the Lamb's book. The, the Lamb's book of life. And who is the Lamb? The Lamb is Jesus, the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, right? So when you stand before God in judgment, there are really two ways to stand before him. You can stand before him and have to give an account for every single deed, every word, everything you've ever done. And you don't want to do that. Because the only answer, the only answer for you then will be condemnation. You're guilty. You're already guilty. Already guilty. If you stand before God and think that you're going to somehow get by on your good deeds, I'm telling you, you're Horribly overestimating the number of your good deeds, first of all, and also overestimating the quality of your goodness. You don't get any of this. You don't understand the holiness of God. All of your goodness is filthy rags, Paul says. You don't have any. 
so, so you want your name to be in the book of life. Because if your name is in the book of life, then all of a sudden, it's not your works that you have to answer for. It's not your works that you stand behind. It's the work of Jesus. It's the work of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I want my name in his book. Because at that point, it doesn't matter any longer what I have done. What matters is what Jesus has done for me. So, the very bottom line, understand this. God's final decision about you will be based on your decision about him. Did you put your faith in Jesus? Did you accept his offer of salvation? Jesus died to forgive you of your sins, to take away the awful stain of your guilt. So that when you stand before God, you're not guilty. You're given the righteousness that only belongs to Jesus. Jesus did that for you. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, including your sins if you let him. There are books. There's the book. So understand, there are two options. Two options. And you make the choice. God's final decision about you will be based on your decision about him. So honestly, you make the choice. You decide whether your name is in the Lamb's book of life. You decide whether you accept the forgiveness of your sins or whether or not you're just going to stand before God and be judged. Now, since there are two options, and understand there are two destinations, there, there are two places, and the Scripture makes it terribly clear Death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. We're not just talking about a story preachers tell. It's a moment in your life. You will... Stand before God, a naked soul, and you will hear the verdict. It it, it could be heaven. it, It could be hell. There are two destinations because there are two options, and and the choice is yours. People say, Pastor Tim, do you really believe in hell? I do. I do. I do. I, I do. For the simple reason that God is a God of freedom. He he gives people freedom. And very simply, there has to be a place for people to go who don't want to spend eternity with God. In the end, there has to be a place for people to go who have said no to God. There has to be a place. Otherwise, there was never any freedom at all. There has to be an option for people who don't want God's love. You say, why would anybody reject God's love? I don't know, but people do it all the time. Some of you in this room are doing it right now. People do. I don't know why they do. But people refuse God, and there are people who don't want to be with God. They, 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 don't, want, they, they don't want Him in their life now, and they don't want Him in life. And, I mean, they don't want God. And there has to be a place for people to go who don't want God. And that place is hell. And that place is separated from God's presence. You think, well, hell doesn't sound so bad. All my friends will be there. You don't understand. If, 
If God's presence is not there, then, then everything that comes from God won't be there either. And God is the source of everything good. You think you and your friends are going to just sit around and smoke weed for eternity, listen to, you know, ACDC, Highway to Hell? What are you thinking, really? If there's no God, then there's no friendship. But any joy, no celebration. What are you thinking? God who is the source of life, joy, love, peace. I mean, I mean, you're talking about an eternity in darkness. Torment, because there can't be comfort. He's the God of all comfort. Why would a loving God send people to hell? I don't believe a loving God sends people to hell. I believe people choose that for themselves. That they choose that. God's final decision about you will be based on your decision about him. You're going to make that choice. You're going to make that choice in a moment like this. So that's the thing. You keep thinking, well, I don't really want to go to hell, but I'd like to raise some between now and, you know, graduation. So I'll get saved later. Later, you know. Maybe after, you know, after high school, after having my fun, you know. Maybe after college, after get out of this fraternity whole deal, you know. Or maybe later, after I've raised my family, you know. Maybe later... We're gambling with your soul. Y'all got to remember, I preach funerals for a living. If you're sitting in this house today, it really could be that when you die, I'll be the one if I outlive you. Y'all know that I'm going to have to ask your family. Did, did she know Jesus? Did he know Jesus? What are they going to say? Well, you always went to church. I'm telling you, the Lamb's Book of Life is not the record of church attendance. Two different things. Well, she's a good mama. There will be good mamas in hell. one of these days your heart's going to stop and your, your brain will last for a while but then eventually it too it's just going to flicker and, and your life is over it's over and, and you will open your eyes and I'm telling you what comes next in a moment like this, you need to make yourself ready for what comes next. God is a loving God, unwilling for anyone to perish. Doesn't make it hard for salvation. I mean, Jesus does everything necessary for your salvation. It's really nothing for you to do other than believe. Believe. I'm asking to believe. You're going to have a lot of questions left over. I can't answer all your questions. The Bible's not going to answer all your questions. You will have to believe with some questions still left over. Is hell a literal hot you know, flame or, or is it just, you know, is that symbolic for other kinds of torment? I don't, I don't know. I don't want to find out. 
Is heaven really a place with streets paved with gold or is that symbol? I, I don't know, but I'm in favor of it. Whatever, you know, I want to go there. What about evolution and creation? Forget about it. It's, it's, it's not going to be the Lamb's book of creationists. Forget it. None of that's going to matter. I'm saying there are lots of things that, that you have questions about, things you're not going to know. And, and, and honestly, you can die not knowing these things. But, but what we're talking about here... This is ultimately important. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. All have sinned and fallen short. That that means the the default for all of us is condemnation. It's hell for all of us. It's not like everybody's going to heaven until you mess up really bad and then it's hell for you. No. Hell's default. Most of us are, are, are born headed for hell. All of us. So, so something has to happen. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. The consequences of your sin is, is death. And, and not just death where you close your eyes and get put in the ground. Understand that there is a second death that Revelation mentions. It's, it's, the, it's the sentence of eternal punishment. It's, it's the eternal, eternal existence outside of God's presence. The wages of sin is death, but, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's, it's simple. And it's free. But you've got to believe. And at some point, you've you got to say yes. You've said no for years and years and years now. At some point, when's it going to be yes? The other thing I fear for you is, is, is sin has a hardening to it. And the more you say no, the more you continue to be hardened toward the message, the harder you get and the harder it is for you ever to turn around and say yes to him. Don't, don't, don't continue to say no. Your eternal soul depends upon how you answer the question. Where will you spend eternity? Pray with me. God, you know You know I believe what I'm preaching. And God, it it just terrifies me. Just to think that there are people who listen to me preach and never, ever open their hearts to you. Lord, I don't know if on that day when we stand before you, if, if I'll be able to see them, or if they'll see me. God, I just can't imagine seeing people that I know and people that I love and people that I preach to 
hear those terrible words from your mouth to depart, I never knew you. Lord, I don't want people who've known me to go into eternity not knowing you. I don't know how to preach it better. I don't know how to preach it stronger. In the end, Lord, it's, it's, it's people who will choose. So many people, Lord, will make a choice that condemns them for all eternity. I don't understand why. So God, today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would break hard hearts open. Lord, I pray that the non-believers, Lord, would believe, would somehow see some vision of your holiness, Lord, that, that would make them no longer hide behind the pridefulness of their knowledge, their doubt, Lord. I pray, Lord, that all of us would recognize that one of these days these hearts will stop, these brains will switch off, and we will open our eyes eyes and stare into the blazing furnace of your holiness, God. Help us get ready for that moment in a moment like this. As your spirit draws us toward you as we make a choice even now whether or not we will surrender to the love of Jesus, Lord, I pray that all those who've said no for so long will finally, finally say yes to you. Pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.